From our headquarters in New York City, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. This podcast is sponsored by Design Within Reach, a modern furniture company founded by and for people who are passionate about design. Become a member of the DWR Trade Program today for access to the world's largest assortment of in-stock products from Herman Miller, Knoll, Tolix, Emco, Stua, and others, as well as exclusive products available only at Design Within Reach. Visit dwr.com trade for details on how to join. Peter Salek doesn't have a lot of free time. A restless innovator, savvy dealmaker, and the wearer of many hats, being the Waterworks CEO is only one of Peter's many roles. He also co-founded the online marketplace Daring Hall and created one of the industry's premier professional groups, the Design Leadership Network. In a wide-ranging discussion, I chatted with Peter about how Waterworks weathered the financial crisis, why he partnered with RH, and what lies ahead for a rapidly changing industry. I wanted to clarify for listeners just right out of the gate. I used to work for Peter. Years ago, I used to work for Waterworks. We've worked together on more than one occasion in, in my career. So sometimes if I slip into a we when I talk about Waterworks or there's a certain level of right. familiarity, old habits die hard. Yeah. Part of the conversation that I wanted to have with you today is about really sharing with, with me, but also with, with the listeners, sort of what these last 10 years have, have been like for you? Because I don't think everybody realizes how, how dramatic in, in, in some ways and, and also how, how productive these last sort of 10 years have, have been. So we, we sort of, we, we start right in 2009, the financial crisis, everything is melting down, right? Waterworks is forced to file for, for bankruptcy, right? In, in sort of the early part of 2009. And then you had already sort of sold your interest in the company. You were, you were gone. Correct. Right. So then you sort of swoop in miraculously, and I, I want to say July of 2009, something like that, and, and you and, and some other investors buy Waterworks out of, out of bankruptcy. Do I have that right? Um, it's, you know, the financial machinations are a little bit different, but right. in effect, we acquired the business from a bank group that had control of it right. as a result of all this. And, uh, you know, I always tell people, well, the, the people say to me, isn't it the most amazing thing that you're able to buy Waterworks back? And I say, no, that's the second best thing. The first best thing, it would have been wildly successful, you know, into the future on its, you know, with a different uh, ownership. And mm. because as an entrepreneur, you know that, you know, by definition, things will end, right? One right. way or another for you with the, your association to the company. None of us live forever. And so you want to imagine that what you work will go on forever. And so, obviously, that's the best thing. So you thought you'd stay on for a little while. You did stay on for a little while. And then you had completely separated yourself, Correct. right? Yeah. And then when did you learn that, that basically the business was not succeeding? I mean, when, when did that sort of first get shared with you? Well, the, the reality is, is that the financial crisis was like really happened almost you know, it was an instantaneous moment. It wasn't a slow degradation of businesses <laughs> no. in the home furnishings and design space, let alone the financial markets. Things happened very, very quickly. Um, and uh, But I was close enough to the business and to the investor group because I was still, you know, part of the 
ownership at that time still uh, that I knew that you know very quickly things deteriorated and by that I mean that you know results fell off uh, in the fall of 2008 like they did for everyone else sure and uh, and you know in these transactions there was a bank group and they owned loans and that you know generated a kind of a crisis okay so you so you became aware of that yeah so then I uh, with the group uh, we bought the bank debt so we negotiated that we acquired the debt and that enabled us to kind of undertake the restructuring in a very controlled way and that um, was a huge opportunity for us because at a time when you know so many companies in our industry and around the world in every industry were struggling we literally had a huge reset we gave ourselves the opportunity to kind of build a new strategy and uh, reimagine how we would uh, take the business forward without the burden of the loans, without the burden of, you know, kind of anything we didn't want. And so without all these additional locations that weren't whatever we didn't want, right. it was like a, yeah. it was like a free pass right. at one moment in time and we took full advantage of it. And so uh, what I think is interesting is we didn't just sort of, you know, kind of saved the company, so to speak. We actually reimagined uh, the business strategy. What were you most eager to change about how you had been running the business previously? What yeah. What did you most want to sort of reimagine and 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 alter in this new business? You know, th- what pops into my mind when you say that, and you know, I may go back and kind of <laughs> reassess this question, but um, what I imagine is that. Uh, the most important thing was that the company was populated with some amazing people and it was understanding the expertise and the uh, experience that that group had that kind of powered the business in the early stages of this. Because it wasn't like, despite the advantages that we had as as a result of the way we reacquired the business, Mm It was not an easy time. No, no. But what we had... And there was nothing to say in 2009 that things were going to get better anytime soon. That's very important that everyone needs to remember. Right? I mean, in 2009, people weren't rushing to buy stocks because it looked like the market was just going to keep falling in the way that it had. And it looked like business, it might take a decade for things to come back. In fact, you can imagine that in talking about buying the business back at that time, I can't imagine a least attractive business, less attractive business because here are high-end home furnishings. Yeah. I mean, it was a terrible place and no one knew how low would be low. But what we had was this, um, you know, very, very uh, committed group of people. And what I always say is that the business, uh, despite all these efforts, could have failed any time during that period. But it was really... I sensed like an inherent commitment on the part of our employee group and an inherent commitment on on the part of customers who kind of just kept willing it to happen. Mm. And that got us through the transaction and ultimately propelled the business forward. And so I think it was really recognizing these people uh, that really was the core of everything. So you knew you had this foundation to, to build on, both in, both in terms of your staff, and you knew that there was this, still this demand in the marketplace from this core group of, of clients. And, and if not demand, because of, uh, but certainly right. passion for the and business. And appreciation for what you yeah, were doing and, pe- and what people, you had. People really cared. And you know, at the end of the day, that matters. So within sort of a year and a half or two years, you were you were feeling like Waterworks was was sort of starting to crank back up, and and you were feeling r- relatively confident about sort of being on the right path with with where the business was going. Yeah, we, I mean, we we during the period from the acquisition, you know, up through the 
most recent transaction, mm. we grew at you know 20-ish percent per year. It was kind of an amazing run. Yeah, uh, it wasn't without its challenges, but things really worked. Yeah. But at the same time, the, the, from the very beginning, the way we sort of set up the management structure was that I knew that I. Uh, wanted to be sort of the creative leader of the company, and I wanted to be the strategic leader of the company, but very different from kind of, let's say, the first time around. I didn't want to be the sort of operational and financial mm. leader of the company. Okay, so that was one of the big changes it was. the second time and around. And so uh, Ralph Bennett, who's our president, right. really stepped into that role um, in hindsight, and when you look around at many uh, significant creatively driven companies, you see this sort of partnership. You don't always see the inside person, mm. but they're there typically because ultimately I think it's very, very hard to kind of think creatively, think strategically, um, have the freedom and flexibility to kind of express uh, all the aspects of that and you know, make sure the trains are running on time. <laughs> just, just what I was going to say. I mean, just that the clockwork is, is yeah, moving along. Yeah. And I, I feel like I have a mindset that can go back and forth between finance and operations and product and mm. marketing and strategy, but it's not fun and it's not healthy to try to do both. Well, it's, exactly. it's not ideal for the organization, right? And that was a, that was part of the challenge. Yeah. And, and, if, and I, I give this advice all the time. I would give it to anyone. Like, if you're... Of running a business, really try to understand what drives you and what's your passion and your strength and just play to it and fill in around it. And that's obvious and kind of basic advice, but it's worth coming back to time and again because uh, those complementary skill sets just really have to be in place to achieve you know, the kind of results most people dream of. Did that also free you up sort of time-wise to, to feel more expansive and, and feel like you could take on this other opportunity? What, what was Daring Hole, yeah. when, right, when it first sort of was started bubbling up for, for yeah. you and, and Steven? I'm basically busy all the time. So the problem <laughs> right. is, is I that it's not, it's not like a lot free, of extra time. Exactly. So it's not like time. I don't have free time per se. I mean, I make free time, but right. I hope you do. I, I hope do. you make some oh, free believe time. me. Okay. I actually thought you might want to ask about that. So I thought about what I would say <laughs> okay. if you asked me what I do in my free time. But, um, but um, it did free me, you know, mentally to kind of entertain a broader range of ideas specifically with Deering Hall, because that was still a time of enormous uh, financial trauma in the markets, even as you, know, as you went into 2010 and 11, sure. I was continually seeing opportunities come up in terms of people approaching me about investments or companies that were struggling and what could we do. And, and so I, um, what happened was one of these situations came up and uh, it was a multi-line showroom and I uh, was kind of interested because they had interesting locations and interesting products. And I went to Stephen, who I respect enormously, not just as a designer, but as a, you know, just a really insightful business person in our market. Mm -hmm. And I said, would you be interested in kind of thinking about this with me and maybe playing a role? And the outcome of those conversations was, it, this doesn't solve any problems that are really happening out there in the market. Uh, to kind of acquire a multi-line showroom and try to even, no matter how chic we thought we could make it, it wouldn't change the underlying problems, which is basically it's a very high cost structure business model, mm. right? Where you have rents and you have salespeople and you have all this, you know, physical inventory on the floor and 
we, no matter how cool we could make it, it wouldn't change or fix the problem. And so the idea was, um, what if we did this online, basically a multi-line showroom online? And of course, we were informed at the time by what was happening at First Dibs. And so we deliberately imagined a world in which we created basically that experience, but for all of the you know, artisan and trade oriented products that were not vintage. Right. And we, from the earliest days, that was sort of the vision was trade's kind of already taken care of. And I think that's continued to be the case, not only with first dibs, but the emergence of other, you know, really strong and sophisticated uh, players in the market for the vintage things. But Mm -hmm. in effect, no one really paid a lot of attention to uh, the amazing things that were being produced by the high-end artisans and brands that support the kind of new production in the design marketplace. Right. And, and custom so, and bespoke and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. So, and so Deering Hall, from the very earliest days, really understood that. And that was our focus. And to this day, no one, uh, I think, has done it better in terms of telling the story of that Uh, community and the opportunities, the diversity, the incredible creativity of the brands in that space. So so originally, were you imagining uh, an e-commerce type business where where these products would ultimately be available for sale, but but to to the trade only? Was that sort of originally sort of the the thinking when you say taking this multi-line showroom and kind of putting it online? I mean... No, actually, it wasn't. You know, if you recall, um, up until a few years ago, First Dibs lived through its whole history by simply referring potential buyers to the dealers directly. Mm. And so we imagined that because we understood that the nature of these products are, you know, often very nuanced and customized. And so they require a certain level of consultation uh, in order to produce them. I think, so it was about making a connection with yeah, people. It was. And, you know, creating this sense of discovery. Mm. You know, what I've often said is that, you know, facilitating the transaction is the least challenging part of our whole industry. The biggest challenge that most brands and artisans and designers and architects in our industry face is it's so hard to find you you know, the product or the work or the person Mm -hmm. because there's just so much of it and no one's big enough to actually kind of stand up and say, hey, look at me, look at all the things I do. This note, so we wanted to facilitate this notion of efficient discovery because if you could find it, then, you know, figuring how to buy it's not that big a deal. Sure, sure. What's interesting, I think, and it's kind of reflects on where the world has gone, is that I think the pace or or the acceptance of, online transaction seems to be just like wildly whipping through our market. And so this notion of simple discovery almost isn't enough anymore Mm. that once people discover it, they just want to click and buy it, even if it's a very sophisticated and expensive thing. Interesting that you mentioned about first dibs and sort of their original model, which was sort of putting you in touch with the dealer. They've done a complete 180 from that perspective and have now, and now they're completely controlling of that, of that conversation. And I, I, I can understand it uh, to, to some respect f- from not wanting to sort of lose out on that on that business, but I I know that 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 change has been has been challenging. I, I don't. There's not much I really can say negatively about First Dibs. I think that they've created an amazing. That wasn't what I was trying to set you my, up for. My, I, I think actually, I mean, they've done a great job in so many ways. I think the the issue that's at hand here is much much bigger than that, and really much bigger than anything in our whole industry, which is that. When I talk to my teams, 
uh, about what's happening. I just say we're confronting fundamental changes in human behavior. And that is, you know, cutting across all facets of the way people, you know, handle their own personal lives mm. and also their professional lives. It's changing people's expectations for how they want to just do things. And so if we don't kind of understand that it's much more fundamental than just how a design firm wants to do business, but it, it's coming from, you know, much bigger social uh, changes, then we're, you know, we're going to stay behind. And so how have you begun to shift your, both your, your thinking and your actual strategy around addressing the, those, those changes? Right. What have you started to, to do differently? Well, um, you know, it, this really is something that touches everything that I'm associated to, right? So one of the first things I did, uh, and for lots of good reasons, and I'm super excited about this, is you know, we, we put Deering Hall together with Cherish and mm -hmm. Tecaso, which strengthened the whole, you know, the, that entire platform, I think, and uh, made the combined company um, much more interesting and much more uh, prepared to kind of address the, a lot of different segments of our market and provide much better service across the whole design uh, marketplace. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with respect to Waterworks, for example, uh, we've been allocating our resources as fast as humanly possible to, you know, moving into a digital space. I think we started a little behind relative to where maybe we had wanted to be. As many companies with legacy systems and legacy resources and assets do, you know, it's hard to kind of get the process going. But we're accelerating our focus on all facets of our investments in technology in general, but specifically web-oriented. I think one of the things that's kind of the biggest wake-up call for me mm -hmm. is that it's not just about having programmers at your fingertips or the ability to imagine the navigation that you might want, or, or but it's the accumulation of all of the images and content to support a sophisticated web property. I mean, to the tune of millions of dollars investment just in photography, renderings, right. the assembly of the databases to support serving these assets up. It's a huge undertaking. And so it's easy to say, well, why can't you make a website or why can't you do this? It's, it's a multifaceted enterprise of, that requires you know, not just the technical side, but the content and uh, a host of creative aspects as well to make that happen. So we're racing through that process as fast as possible to create what I tell our team is we want the look and feel, the experience, the content to look like your favorite like fashion e-commerce site. And it's not because we necessarily are trying to move to e-commerce as some fundamental way of doing business, but we want people to experience Waterworks the way they experience the favorite sites that they interact with at the high end for other things they do in their lives. And and that seems to be what's necessary, right? Is for, for people to have the same kind of experience that they're growing accustomed to having in, in every other part of their life. I think that's exactly right. I right? think that's exactly right. And And so it's not whether or not we transact online. That's really secondary. It's can I find what I want? Yes. And can I see enough images associated to it that I can understand the product? Can I connect with the company in the way that I want to connect with the company when I want to? And again, this sounds like a bit like a cliche in some ways, 
saying it because I think we're all hearing it, but it's a question of what are you doing about it as a company to fulfill that requirement. I want to step back, though, because now that we're sort of talking about all of, all of the investment around Waterworks, you and I have never really had the conversation around what led you to make the decision. So we, we were just talking about rebuilding Waterworks, right, and, and getting it all going, and then you decide 2016, maybe you decided before, I don't know, to sell Waterworks to RH. So help me understand that decision. Right. I mean, and I, and I say that in part because, so I've had conversations recently, uh, I had a conversation with David Sutherland, you know, and he said, you know, RH was copying my stuff and I went and I had a conversation with them and I decided, oh, better to work with them than, than you know, try to try to fight them. I felt very personally that, that RH had copied Waterworks products, right? And, and still sell many of those same products today. So I'm, I'm curious about the decision that you, that you made and yeah. how you got there. Uh, maybe the place I would start is to say that um, having private equity or venture investors in your business is not, you know, kind of an ideal state. Right. So right. there's a lot okay. of attention these days on like, oh, I got funded or I have investors. It's like, no, that's like the worst thing you can have. <laughs> right. People think ways. that's the desirable situation, right, is right. to have all these great investors. But, you know, it comes with a time clock. It comes with all these pressures. Right. It, it comes with all these metrics. Yeah. Even if you have one investor from the outside, yeah. your life is permanently changed. And so I've had that from the very beginning. So right. I understand it. I get it. I like these people and I appreciate what they do. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there was time. I basically decided that Waterworks needed to find a permanent home. We needed to kind of get out of this private equity venture world in which you're kind of always knowing that there's, they're going to need an exit. And right. then okay. you, the next one needs an exit. And the next one needs an exit. It just never ends, right? And so, so you had had to take on investors then to, to buy out those loans that you talked about earlier. Yeah, and I did for the very specific reason that you mentioned, which is no one knew how far down was going to be. Right. And so the capital wasn't simply to buy the loans. It was to know we had to have like multiples of that because we didn't know how long we were going to need to invest before exactly. things recovered. Exactly, how bad it was going to be. So we yeah. basically like triple suspended the scenario because we had no idea. Right. No one did. Right. Okay. And that was fortunate, not because we needed the capital, but it was simply prudent and that it was uh, enabled us to have that flexibility to reimagine the business, you know, and move forward with the kind of deliberate nature that we did when other people were struggling with all their problems. So liquidity wasn't a challenge for you at that time, no. and that made a lot of things easier. Absolutely. But it meant that you had a lot of people, yeah, right, that yeah. you had just had to answer to for yeah. various reasons. So, okay. so, so, you know, basically the idea was let's find a corporate a solution for this and through the process we talked to a wide range of companies who you could guess some of them not guess other ones sure. but you know people were very interested and um, ultimately we ended up with our age uh, and this may sound surprising but uh, interestingly enough and it's hard to unknow them from the outside but you know the culture there is actually I think not dissimilar from our culture meaning that they um, there's a strong entrepreneurial and creative drive there. There, There's a lot of passion and kind of belief in their mission uh, and what they stand for. And also getting to know them, I came to understand that they were evolving in terms of how they saw themselves and what they wanted to be. And while 
you know, I of course don't agree with everything. Mm. It's I actually believe that they are um, inherently there's a lot of positive, creative, and um, intelligent thinking that does happen there. You don't get to be a company like that without it, right? Um, and I came to believe that there um, that that culture there surprising as this may sound was a very good fit for us and um because you you felt that that gary friedman really wanted to deliver on this on this promise of 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 what like what was what was the culture what was his what was his vision that he shared with you that that you bought into or, or agreed with or found similarities with you know the company is essentially driven by passion passion for their business, passion for their people, passion for their, the, the customers there. And while, it's, as I said, it's not exactly the same, mm. that passion is not that easy to find. If you go to talk to like other larger corporations that might have been um, our partner, you would not necessarily find that. You'd find a lot of bean counters, let's face it. Right. And I mean, that's the reality. And so I think we responded to that. But then we also responded and saw evidence of this commitment to move away from a lot of that sense that they're copying or whatever it was that people criticized them for mm. and moved into a space they're trying to redefine themselves as a much more you know premium player, acknowledging the design work that sits behind so much of the product. So, you know, we can be kind of snobby in the high-end trade space, but for most people, RH, you know, feels extremely aspirational. And I think that that vision that they have for that is bringing a lot of people into the market and over time uh, is a force for good. Mm. Okay. And so did you, did you have the, the conversation with them about how they had sort of knocked off a lot of the product or does that? Yeah, of course, of course we did. And, you know, I, to this day, I try to, you know, uh, point out where I feel like they continued to step on toes. But um, I guess I came to believe that uh, all the positive direction that they were heading in as a company and the culture that I was describing mm. were uh, a good fit for us. And the reality is it's proven to be true because here we are, um, we really continue to like live out our own game plan right. and our own culture and our own way of working, you know, kind of almost like parallel play. And I feel like we get the, you know, the positive aspects of one, not having this kind of private equity investor base. We also get a lot of really, I would call like high level, you know, feedback from them. That's, you know, really helpful to us at the kind of top to top level. But then we have no interaction with them on, you know, any aspect of our business. You know, it's frustrating to me because we still, there's, you know, you hear sometimes, well, doesn't RH make this? No, we don't make, they don't make anything for us. We don't make anything for them. We don't interact on any operational level any at all. But when we go out there and we talk to them about the business, I, I learn a lot. And I feel like those insights are really powerful and they help me to be a better business person. So it has been striking how there seems very little connection between RH and Waterworks. And as you well know, I'm I'm on every earnings conference call and I'm and I'm waiting and I for the discussion around Waterworks, it's often not coming. I don't know if that was part of the original agreement when you sold the company, was the understanding that you 
Peter and, and your management team would, would just continue to run Waterworks as a separate entity, that they weren't really interested in, in integrating, that they weren't interested? Because sometimes, candidly, Gary Friedman, you know, he acts as if, oh, yes, he's just remembered, and by, next week I'm going to get on that. I'm going to get on integrating Waterworks much more into our business, you know? And, but then, like, it doesn't happen. So, I mean... Well, I think if you go back to the first uh, earnings call or the announcement around this, everything that Gary said then, I think, uh, was true, that he does really appreciate our brand. Oh, absolutely. And everything it stands for. And, you know, behind the scenes, and I, I think I can say this on this program, his, <laughs> he basically articulated a strategy that was like, don't fuck it up. That was what he said to us. Okay. And what he said to all of his people on his board at the time. That right. was the main strategy. Yes. No, he seemed, in the, in the very beginning, he seemed wildly excited. He felt like he was buying the crown jewel in this industry. No, no question. I mean, he was, he was gushing about it. Yep. And in a way, that's what was sort of confusing for me as it went along. Because he was so excited about it initially, he clearly saw the, the value, and I thought, maybe not right away, but I thought you'd see sort of some kind of meaningful integration between the two businesses. Well, I think that there are, are exciting things that we could do together mm. that would be high integrity, but um, in the absence of doing things that are really thoughtful, it's better to do nothing. Let's face that, <laughs> okay. right? Okay. But the second part of it is, and I, I obviously can't speak for Gary, he's, mm. you know, would, is more than capable of speaking for himself. Certainly. But I, I would just say, if you look at what they've been doing since the acquisition of Waterworks, they've done incredible things, right? They've had this massive restructuring, buying back all their stock. They've inter- yes. launched these this major hospitality initiative and kind of reimagined what the experience is in their big galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much that they've been focused on. So in many ways, it's not surprising right. that, you know, and we think Waterworks is big, but comparatively, we're quite small. Sure. And so they have a lot of big, important things to do. And, you know, we, I think w- the expectation is that we'll find things when it's right to find things. We're taking a quick break to remind designers that members of DWR's trade program enjoy special pricing on everything even classics. Need it yesterday? DWR's in-stock selection can help get you out of just about any jam. Visit dwr.com trade for details on how to join. Thinking of your, of your role as the creative director at, at, at Waterworks, what are, what are you most excited about that you're, that you're working on? there you know a way I might answer the question is when I get most excited it's when I feel like the ideas we have are the exact opposite of the ideas that everybody else has and so we there's a few things going on right now where I feel like we have identified uh, things that are um, meaningful to us from a creative perspective or an innovation perspective that are kind of go the opposite of what the rest of the world is doing so and and can we can we speak specifically to to something or is this still in the workshop stage? Well, there's a lot of them in the workshop. <laughs> okay, um, but you know, I would actually go so far as to say that um, you know, since you mentioned it, the what we're calling our new classics uh, launch mm. that's happening as we speak right now, you know, in some ways actually uh, exemplifies that because you know the, there's a sort of sense out there that if it's not you know, for, for something to be hot, it has to be kind of contemporary or it has to be, you know, edgy in some way, shape or form. Mm. And uh, what I've shared with our team 
is that when you really kind of look under the hood and study what you can find out there from uh, uh, references in terms of what's happening in design today, um, some of the chicest and most interesting people in the world are creating these very classical environments. And so I love the idea that it seems like, you know, in order to be at the front edge of design, you have to be creating very contemporary things. And here we are basically putting a stake in the ground and saying, actually, we kind of look around and see, you know, the chicest people in the world doing things that are very traditional. When you're sort of navigating the, the, the business and, and sort of where it's going and, and what's making you feel now is the time to be. So, for example, what we were just talking about, making, making this investment in, the, in this sort of classic style. What, is, what does the business tell you that, that makes you sort of navigate in one direction or, or, or another? Or, or how are you making those decisions? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I actually, I kind of almost don't know. It's, you know, there's an aspect of it that's, you know, there's like an intuitive quality to, mm-hmm. to that that I would have to just say, you know, gets test-driven over time because nothing in our business happens quickly, right? We tend to plan our products uh, two years out just because of, you know, they're complex, they're engineering demanding, they take, you know, prototypes and tooling on and on and on, even for the yeah. simplest thing we do. Sure. But the the earliest kind of like responses come from like an intuitive sense of like what we're seeing. And I I can only kind of describe it that way. But we really do try to then once we say, you know, this is the big idea, we try to like rally around it and really support it, you know, across every line of business at Waterworks and every story we're trying to tell across every medium. Yeah, it's I, it's not a formula, and it's not kind yeah. of a number or right. anything else like that. So to your earlier point about how important you think it is to get your website to be as compelling and, and, and feel as that the user experience is, is much like what people are getting everywhere else that they're, that they're shopping and, and going online, is, is e-commerce, is it becoming a, a, a big part of your business or still not, not yet? I mean, I feel like in the high-end home furnishings industry, the answer is still not not yet. Right. They're trying to build it in the hopes that they will come, but so far, they're not coming in, in massive numbers yet. I mean, how is it for you? Yeah. Well, for Waterworks specifically, it's mm. not a, a significant part of our business today. Uh, what I was trying to express is that I think it, you know, the UX, the user experience, and the overall kind of... Um, you know, performance of the online experience, you know, needs to be at that level, irrespective of the, where the transactions are taking place. Right. But I absolutely believe it's coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw a, um, a very extensive survey recently, uh, a big one. It indicated to me that a lot more purchases by designers are taking place online than we might suspect. So we could sit here and we could identify kind of the big products that people are buying. But I suspect that there's a lot of transactions that are kind of coming in to support the final design product Mm -hmm. uh, that are happening online that we may not even really be kind of thinking about. So this survey indicates to me that it's a bigger idea than we might be imagining. When, when you think about what you, what you wish our industry was doing a better job of collectively, is, is, is part of it 
come on, let, let's get going with everyone's sort of e-commerce capabilities? Or, I mean, what, what would you, what do you wish the industry was, was further along with or, or, or doing better right now? Yeah, I don't... Um, I mean, I know you probably don't I'm think of it trying, in that framework. Yeah, I'm not I, trying to you know, tell people what they should or shouldn't do or that if we were all just kind of e-commerce enabled, it, the world would be a better place. I don't believe that at all. I'm just trying to advocate for the reality here that if we don't kind of get ourselves to a place where we, as an industry, make ourselves easy to do business with and connect with people the way they want to connect, and by people I mean both designers but Mm. also consumers who are doing their homework about the design industry, we're going to lose out. And what will happen is that people will not hire designers because they feel like they can do it on their own, whatever it might be, but we'll, we will lose out if we're not connecting with people you know, in these mediums that they are so you know, desperately connected to, looking at their phones you know, hours and hours a day. Yeah. If we're not there, that's a problem. And I think what people don't appreciate is that you can have a website, but if you're not getting traffic to it, it doesn't matter. Right. So a lot of companies have, you know, okay websites visually, but if the traffic isn't there and if the traffic isn't growing and if people aren't actually doing stuff on the site, it doesn't matter. So you're seeing positive signs of that for Waterworks, that, that, that people are coming more, that people are interacting more. Well, we're working very hard to, to increase to, to traffic. That. Okay. We're working really hard to create, you know, experiences on the site that are helpful to people. So we're tracking not just, you know, we're tr- very important things that we're tracking are, are people signing up to get emails from us mm-hmm. because that's indicative that they want more information. They want to communicate with us. They want to learn about us. We're tracking, you know, are they clicking on tear sheets or are they clicking on, you know, installation guidelines that they want to download or CAD blocks they want to download? Um, what parts of the experience are they most connected to? And, and what do you find is most leading people to your website what getting back to our sort of earlier marketing discussion what what's working for you marketing wise i would say as a company we're kind of early days and really feeling like we have a strong grasp on the real drivers so you know the easy ones are of course when people type into their browser some form of waterworks right Mm. that's a significant part of it, which indicates the good news is people are coming to us deliberately. They want to engage with us. There's a certain level of brand awareness. The bad news is that, you know, in some ways I think that's too much because that means we're not finding new people who are just kind of looking for information about baths and kitchens and are finding us because they are generally looking in the space. Like a lot of companies, our email newsletter brings a lot of people back because they're seeing something in the newsletter that is interesting to them and they wanted to explore it more. Mm. And then you start really diving into you know, your paid uh, marketing you, and, and you're diving then into um, all the referral from social and it just becomes you know, a big, complex uh, analytical framework that you just have to kind of be on top of every day. Many of the many of the big online players, and I'm and I'm thinking of, of of Wayfair, for example. In this in this most recent earnings, it was very clear that customer acquisition costs continue to just go sort of through the roof for that organization, right? And and that's 
yet another reason why profitability continues to elude them. My God, the money that they're having to spend, and when you look at their average sale, they're not getting that money back. I mean, it, it right. really seems like a, almost a black hole for them. But so it, it is, is customer ac- are customer acquisition costs something that you're having to, to really sort of keep an eye on because it, it is getting much more competitive in that in that space to... Yeah, well, I mean, as a, as a relatively small company, we're not able to compete in that f- way that you're describing there. Mm. So we can't really think about ourselves as acquiring customers simply by throwing dollars at it that way. So we have to be more clever and we have to you know, be more focused than uh, what a company like Wayfair might be doing. So that's where we're you know, really um, using just even more basic uh, ways of just kind of adding, you know, one, two, three, four new customers at a time, so to speak, you know, through this, you know, you might think, you know, I think that what what people forget is that when you move into the digital space, I always say it's like a game of inches. In the offline world, um, you're trained that it's like the big ta-da moment and you spend all these months and months and months to kind of prepare your moment <laughs> and here's your product launch or here's your store opening sure. or here's your catalog or whatever it might be. Yeah. And everyone in the digital world knows that every day you wake up and how many inches can you gain today? And that's a very different mindset. It's also very, and it's not just inches in customer acquisition. You know, did I get one more click today? Did I get one more, you know, improvement in, you know, the performance of my site? Mm. But it's also uh, the mindset of constantly improving the web experience. Like basically, most digital companies operate in these like two two week sprints. Every two weeks, there's something better about their site. And that's not the offline company way of thinking where, you know, you're typically thinking about much longer planning cycles. Right. So the, that, next, the next market. Yeah. That so that thing. game yeah. of inches, I'm trying to, you know, really bring to the, you know, the, the culture of Waterworks as we become more digitally focused. And so, you know, we sit there and we're excited if we get you know, 250 new email addresses in a week because that's 250 new people who want to learn about us. That's really amazing because we know that those two are, and they, they're not, we're not buying those names per se. Right. We're, you know, we're adding more Pinterest boards that are bringing people to us. So we're, you know, they're coming through our stories on Instagram and each one of those clicks really matters. So somehow organically your content has yeah. brought them to you rather we, than you going out and acquiring them. We, so we just can't meaningful. possibly spend right. enough to rely on that alone, right? Right. So we do spend some, but sure. it's you know we have to be doing much more than that. Yeah. Now, do I understand that you've got uh, specific people that are working on sort of customer leads or or sort of finding out right who who some of the some of the key possible specifiers are in key markets. One one of the things I'll step back and say is that I've come to believe, uh, much like I've said, that there's so many talented and creative and amazing design firms and people in our industry, much more so than people understand. And so this idea that um, the industry is bigger than we think it is, and you know more exciting than you know most people realize. I think I take to heart. Mm. You know, I would joke sometimes with Michael Boudreaux for, at, at Deering Hall sure. that we would see better projects on Deering Hall published by people you never heard of that he, you know, he would put into the editorial experience there than was in you know, a magazine, a national magazine that month. And it's sort of indicative that there's so much talent out there that you know, we all need to acknowledge that. And the, even if you haven't heard of someone doesn't mean they're not 
you know, really talented and couldn't be the next most important designer in the world. Part of our mission is to integrate into the community, not just the people we all know sitting here in New York, but people that we might not have heard of who are doing amazing work all over the country and ultimately maybe in other countries as well. And then with respect to Waterworks, you know, we need to know who's doing the work. I mean, that's just a reality of our business. And so, um, yeah, we're creating a new function to basically do research, um, you know, kind of primary research Mm -hmm. back to college, if you want to speak, you know, basically looking one by one by one through magazines and websites and directories and just checking out firms and seeing if we know them and what the business is and trying to make sure we know. And that's a tedious job, but it reflects this idea that um, you know, we need to kind of invent new ways of um, working in a world in which uh, people aren't just sort of walking in the door the same way they used to. I think there are a lot of designers that literally rarely leave their screens or their offices. And it doesn't mean they're bad designers at all. It means that they're actually, you know, working differently. And that's, you know, something that you know, I, I think we all just need to acknowledge. Well, and, and as you were saying before, that, that's one of the big sort of overarching themes is this notion of working differently, of, of shopping differently, of even finding information before the shopping starts happening very, very differently, yeah. right? And, I mean, and- look, we all have to imagine that effectively almost 100% of all shopping is pre-shopped online. So if we can't fulfill that uh, requirement, we're not even going to begin to get people into our showrooms. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of platforms, and I, and I know we're, we're, we've got to wrap up shortly, but a lot of competition right now around this product management software space, right? So everyone's trying to figure out if, if there could be one primary platform or, right? So what's your, what's your, what's your take on all of that? Are, are you, is, is Waterworks, are you participating in and around that space? Or, I mean, what's your, what's your sense? I, my sense is this is a really, really tough job. Uh, to, for you know, it's almost unimaginable. I you know, and I I don't mean to be kind of a downer on this. Almost <laughs> unimaginable to think that there's going to be one solution, one winner in this whole yeah. equation. And okay. you know, and it's I think in part we just reflects the you know the the fragmentation in our market that it's almost impossible to imagine capturing like all the design firms, all the products, all the everything. It's it's just too big. I think you know I think that there will be you know, innovation and improvement in the, these uh, platforms that support the back end of design firms, and I'm all for that. And I'd love to see improved uh, processes and, and things really work better for the firms themselves. But the idea that there's kind of like one uh, outcome here, I find it challenging. Mm. And in part, it's because, you know, it's, you know, it's just too hard to connect with all the different firms who might want to, who you need to kind of bring together into one place. So, so, so regardless of how big one of these platforms gets, it's still going to only have a small percentage yes. of the overall possible. Customers, That's what I think. Right? It's really that simple. Right. So, so Waterworks hasn't signed on to participate with any of these various. Well, the, the Waterworks perspective on this uh, is that we. It's not that we wouldn't. Mm. It's that the. Um, 
that the amount of data that would be required to be essentially moved into this application, whatever it might be, and the maintenance of that data, if you really think about it, it's a massive requirement. And so once you start down that path of putting your data into one platform or another, you have to imagine dedicating a lot of resources to the management and maintenance of that data over time. So the systems need to talk to each other, the, um, and the pipe needs to be big enough to accommodate you know, a lot of imagery, a lot of types of data, and when you're in the world that we're in, a lot of technical data to support effectively what's happening. And you know, the easy one, of course, is just price, mm. but it's the dimensions, it's the, and everything that go with, goes with it. So it's not simply a matter of, is this pretty picture on someone's platform, can I click on it? But it's all the data that has to go with it. And so that, I think, is, as a brand owner, is something that is important for everyone to consider. And these applications have to be able to support the maintenance of that data. And the companies have to be committed to supporting the, uh, that data over time. Mm. That's a big task. How are you investing in the data management side of, of your business? So, so some companies have partnered with Salesforce and some companies, I mean, what, what investments and what decisions have you made around that space? Because that's a huge part of your business. Yeah. The way we describe it is technology is kind of the big tent. Mm. And then underneath it, you have all these web-oriented applications, a lot of it you know, oriented toward being the ones that inter- are interacted with by our clients. But then there's all kinds of other technology that is required to support our business. And so... Um, a huge one, for example, we were just talking about. So this database that manages where we house all of our product information is a gigantic one. I'm sure. And so, you know, we have a lot of products. They're technically demanding. They come in a million finishes and sizes. And then they all, that needs to, what needs to go with it is all the technical information underneath that. It's astonishing. <laughs> What yes. is required, and it's so overwhelming, and it's shocking to know that after the investment we make annually in our showrooms from a capital perspective, mm. technology is number two. You'd want it to be something else because mm. you'd think it would be product or something like that, but it's actually the technology. Wrapping up, we 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 talked in the in the beginning of this conversation about the fact that we're putting together a conference, the the, the future of home. So when you think about the, the future of home and, and, and when you think about where you're trying to get your business to and, and to sort of address what you've already described as people just thinking differently and, and, and shopping differently, what do you see coming for the, for the future of home? How do, how do you think things are really going to change and how do people start to prepare for that? Um, the, the way I would answer that question, it's, you know, I don't think there's like one light bulb thing that is going to like change everyone's lives immediately here. Um, my, my greatest hope is that as an industry and as we imagine the future of home, that we're just simply making a bigger commitment to invest and change as an industry to kind of get where our clients want us to be. Mm. And I think we can kind of spend time talking about what that might be. But much like I said earlier about uh, how important people are, and the kind of mindset that they bring to a company, I would suggest that um, in the same way, 
we have to kind of all really want that change to happen. And I suspect if your business is performing reasonably well, it's because you're changing and because you're responding. And if your business isn't performing as well as you want, it's probably because you're not changing fast enough. But I, I, it's not a technology answer that is going to solve the problem for us. I think it's like using our minds, using our creativity, and using our kind of passion to figure out how to get people engaged with us. And technology will be part of that, mm -hmm. but it's also so many other things more than that. Are you thinking of yet another opportunity that you want to explore? Are you looking at some other creative idea for a, a, the, the next business opportunity for, for Peter Salek? If you're looking, I think you're probably going to have a hard time finding. I The way I work best, I think, is to sort of pay attention to what I am feeling or seeing and trying to, you know, use that as my guide. So I'm not like soliciting business plans or things <laughs> okay. like that. You know okay. what I mean? I, but I'm always paying attention and I'm always trying to, you know, think about what the future might look like most of the time within the things I'm involved in. So right, right now I'm very focused on the future of waterworks right. and I'm very focused on the future of the design leadership network. Um, and there's so many opportunities that that is a lot yes. right there. Well, and do, and do you want to go on the record here right now and tell people that you're you're not thinking about buying Waterworks back from RH as so many people suggest to oh me constantly God. when I when I mention that I'm talking with you, they say, "Oh, he's going to he's going to buy it back that Peter Salek. He is a deal maker and he is just going to That's I can tell you absolutely that's not anything I'm working on. Okay, there you have it. From the man himself, he is not working on that. But there are things that are bubbling up with, within the industry that, not right now, but that you think could be a, a, an opportunity. There's always opportunities. Right. That's, you know, it's, again, it sounds like a contrite answer, but I just think that's true if you're paying attention. Because I, I feel like we at Business of Home always need to be ready to write the next story <laughs> about what Peter Salek is, is investing in next or doing next. So we're standing by. Well, Every you, time you postponed this interview, I thought, oh, he's, he's getting ready to do something. He doesn't want to talk to me until he's got it in place. You told me that's not the case, but so right now there's nothing to announce here. Nothing to announce here. Okay. Well, we will stay tuned. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, you, this is a phenomenal program, and I hope people really pay attention because across all the people that you interviewed, there's so much to learn. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. My guest has been Peter Salek, the CEO and Creative Director for Waterworks. A quick note, we'll be off next week for the Memorial Day holiday, but back with a new episode on Monday, June 3rd, which is also a special day for us because we'll begin releasing early bird tickets to our inaugural Future of Home conference presented by High Point Market. Go to businessofhome.com slash futureofhome to learn more. Thank you again to our sponsor and our producers. You can find us at businessofhome.com or on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs>